Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. This was just what continued to sit in my spirit, and I felt like it is just a biblical reminder. Uh, this is going to be a very practical, not super deep, and it's just super practical pastoral message. Amen. It's called The Importance of Christian Fellowship. The Importance of Christian Fellowship. If you will, let's just pray together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you. We honor you. Lord, I pray that everybody in this room would just open up our heart to you, that we would not be complacent and satisfied with where we're at. But tonight, we know that your word, it says that it's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it's, it, it cuts between joint and marrow. It exposes innermost thoughts and desires. Lord, I pray that tonight, that that word, just like John 15 says, Jesus said, you've been purified by my message, that that word would cut, that the word, would, the simple word, would really begin to cause us to evaluate ourselves. What are we doing? Is there flesh that needs to die? Is there part of my life that is compromised, that's not fully given over to Jesus? Am I giving my life to Jesus and following him in this way? And I pray, Lord, that everybody in here, we could just receive your word with open eyes and open ears. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You are the great teacher, and I thank you for your anointing to share this message tonight. Give me boldness, Lord, to share it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to start in Acts 2, 42 through 47. The reason that I'm preaching this is because I, I look around in the modern church today, and honestly, I see Christians neglecting fellowship in their life. I see Christians ne neglecting fellowship, and there's another thing, and I'll get to this, but the Bible calls us to love one another, but the reality is, honestly, if you just took, if you could peel back the curtain and look in every believer's life, outside of the church, outside of the service, Christians are not properly loving one another, they're barely tolerating one another. Most Christians' confession about their brother and sister is not I love them, not that I give myself. And, and, and they're doing what the Bible talks about, what we're going to go over. It's genuinely like, oh, you know, okay, I tolerate that person and I go to church with that person. And we're totally missing not an insignificant thing, a very significant, weighty thing in the Scripture. Um, you know, this is the thing I, I heard Brother Tiff Shuttlesworth say. He said he likes to preach on topics that are mentioned more times in the Bible, so major topics. He says, I don't really spend my time preaching on minor things. That means if something's mentioned like once or twice, 
You know, it's not bad to talk about it. Anything in the word is good to talk about, but he said there's much weightier matters. Jesus taught that. He said, oh, you tithe, you know, the tiniest little herb from your herb garden, but you neglect the more weighty matters. He said, there's more weighty matters in the scripture. And, and this is absolutely, when the Lord told me to preach on Christian fellowship, and I said, okay, I started digging, said, I'm going to look into what the Bible has to say about Christian fellowship. Y'all, I was blown away. Scripture after scripture after verse, verse, I was like, oh my gosh, this is not an insignificant mention. This is significant in the word of God. This actually has, holds a high priority. So in Acts 2.42, start with this text through 47. It says, all the believers, say all. I know you've heard me mention this, but all means all. It means each. It means every single one, no matter if they were kids no matter how young they were, no matter how old they were, all the believers devoted themselves. That word devoted, I want you to see that. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. These are really the three pillars of Christian life. Three pillars here. You have the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? That's the word of God. Are you guys with me? And not just the word of God in general, it specifically the apostles' teaching. You'll see in the book of Acts that the church would gather together and they would, uh, they would go to the temple where there would be daily teaching in the temple. They would gather together the, the apostles in the book of Acts in Jerusalem would go to the temple every day and they would teach the word and the church would gather. So this was actually a service, a organized corporate church service where the word of God was being presented and expounded upon. And so you can simplify this to understand you, every Christian must be devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to church Devoted to sitting underneath a ministry gift. Are you with me? Every Christian needs to have a pastor. You know, you live in this day and age and time. If you will, go ahead and turn this down a little bit for me. Just take me out a little bit. I'm having to hold it kind of far. But you wouldn't believe how many Christians or how many people you run, run into and, and you start talking to them about Jesus and they say, yes, I'm a Christian, but... You're like, where do you go to church? Well, I don't have a church. That's not a, that's not a biblical, there's no blueprint for that in the Bible. Are you guys with me? And I'll, in fact, I'll tell you, because of these three things, people, why do they get led astray? Honestly, you got people that they're genuine, they receive the Lord, they get excited about God, but then they totally end up falling away and they don't endure, they don't persevere, they don't continue to follow Christ. It's because they don't devote themselves you know, you have to understand this too. You have to devote yourself. God cannot make you devoted. This isn't saying God will just possess you and make you give yourself over these things. You have to make the conscious decision, the intentional decision to fill your life with these three areas. The apostles' teaching to fellowship. Say fellowship. What was fellowship? Well, it was many things, but it says specifically, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Okay, as a Christian, you must have church, say church. You must have fellowship, say fellowship, and you must have prayer, say prayer. 
If you have one of these pieces missing in your life, you are, you are going to totally fall short in your Christian walk. Are y'all with me? Okay, devoted. So here's the thing about this word, devoted. Let me keep reading, actually. Verse 33, it says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracle signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. Look at that. They met together in one place. Say one place. This will help you with the arguments of modern-day Christianity that says stupid things like, well, how many of you know we don't have to go to church? How many, well, I watch my church online. Well, are, are pastors even getting up saying, uh, just oh, if you're joining us on our online campus, have you ever heard stupid things like that? There's no such thing as an online campus. The only blueprint that we have for the gathering of the saints is they gathered together in one place. There is no substitution for it. No other blueprint in the Bible, anything else that's said other than that, it's man-made, it's man-invented, and it's a compromise. Well, why do we got to have an online campus? Because we got these lethargic, lazy, backslidden Christians that won't make the time to come to one place. So to appease them and accommodate them, we'll just have an online campus. And they can, you know, I hear, I watch live streams and I hear pastors say like, if you're here today, God bless you. If you're watching it at home and your PJs on the couch, oh, hallelujah, the Lord will bless you. Guys, I'm telling you, I don't really think that God sees that in, in very good light. You know, I don't even have the honor for God to get out of my house to put on some clothes. And, he, you know, it, and I want to only say some clothes. As a Christian, you should strive to present your best to the Lord. Now, not everybody's going to have a three-piece suit or, you know, that looks different. But it's just this intentionality. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to present my absolute best because it's an honor. Well, does God, does God really care? You know, does God, does he love the person that looks cleaner? No, it's not about does he love you more. It's about your position of your heart of honoring God. Oh, I'm serving the Lord. You know, in your PJs on the couch? Come on. They gathered together in one place. Say one place. That's why we can't shut down. We can't stop having services because we're compromising the blueprint of the church according to the Bible if we do that. And they shared everything that they had. They sold their properties and possessions and shared their, shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Wow, say each day. Say each day. Say each day. This is crazy. This is the blueprint for Christianity in the book of Acts. They gave themselves over to these three pillars, and they didn't do it once a week. They didn't do it twice a week. They did it seven days a week. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, and prayer, seven days a week, each day they devoted themselves to these things. You know, I, I, I keep, maybe part of my problem, people are like, John, what's your problem? Maybe part of my problem is I just listened to too many dead preachers <laughs> that just preached in a different time. And, and you hear about, how watered down and compromised the church is just becoming. Like, let's just do less 
and less and less. And let's cut out Wednesday night now. Why? Because most Christians, they won't come to a Wednesday night. Well, let's cut out prayer now. Why? Because most Christians won't come to a prayer service. And let's cut these things out. You hear some of these men in the 70s, even the 80s, 40, 50 years ago. Weekly midnight prayer. Christians understood that Sunday, it was church day. Are y'all with me? Sunday wasn't nap day. Sunday wasn't fun day. Sunday wasn't the movie day. Sunday was the Lord's day. You know, again, it's like Christians have a hard time. Well, I can't come to a night service. And it's like Christians 40 years ago, not even the, the average day woman and man that served the Lord understood just 40 years ago. On Sunday, we're going to be there in the morning. And on Sunday, we're going to be there at night because it's the first day of the week. We're consecrating it to God. This ain't just play around day. This is the Lord's day. In fact, they worshiped on Sunday because it was for several reasons. Number one, the Jews, their day was the Sabbath, the Saturday, the seventh day. So they wanted to be separate and distinct from the Jews that rejected Jesus. So they chose Sunday, but also Sunday was the day that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And so they worshiped the day he rose, the resurrection day, and then also Sunday's the first day of the week. So there's this law in the Bible of, of first, of giving God first. There's first fruits. And that's what it is to take the first day and say, Lord, morning and evening, I'm going to give you the first day. Consecrate my week to you by giving you the first day. Are y'all with me? So they did these things every day, each day, each day. Say each day. That's the problem, guys, is it's so hard building a biblical church in America when Christians don't want to be biblical Christians. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared in meals with great generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now say devoted. That word devoted in the Greek, it means to be devoted or constant. That means constantly. That means continually. That doesn't mean they did it once, they did it twice, they tried it for a week. That means they constantly gave themselves every day, every week, every month, every year to these three things. It means to give unremitting care. What does that mean? They're, they're, they're giving special attention to these three things. To persevere and to not faint. You know what it means to persevere? It means, what, what does it mean to persevere for Christ? If you were to persevere for Christ in a time where there was extreme persecution, what would that mean? It would mean to continue to follow Christ in spite of the extreme persecution, in spite of what's coming against you, in spite of the threats, in spite of the inconvenience, you continue to follow Jesus Christ. So that word devoted, it means they persevered. That means that it didn't matter what season, didn't matter what came up, it didn't matter, you know, the things that tried to make it inconvenient. They made the intentional decision to commit themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, say fellowship, and then three, to prayer. 
It's a decision. You have to be intentional. And I already know. You know, people are going to say, that's not convenient for me. That's part of dying to follow Jesus Christ. That's part of the cost of following Jesus. I'll get to some of these points. I want to go further with that. But first, Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. What is the day? In context, it's the day of the Lord. It's the second coming of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible says, don't forsake assembling of yourselves together. And in fact, it says extorting one another so much more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So as the return of Christ draws near, it actually says we should be engaging in these things more. Say more. Why? Because the believer is going to need it more. The believer is going to need more teaching. The believer is going to need more fellowship. The believer is going to need more prayer in order to stand in the last days. With an antichrist system, every day that you walk outside that door, there's a system that is bent to kill, to steal, to destroy you, to keep you sick, to keep you in poverty, to get you to relinquish your faith in Jesus Christ. That's why as, as we get closer to Christ, it says that this persecution, this pressure, it will increase and increase and increase like a woman's labor pains. Guys, I'm telling you, in the last days, it will be very difficult times, the Apostle Paul told Timothy. Things aren't going to get easier for the believer as the return of Christ draws near. In fact, as the return of Jesus Christ draws near, it's going to be like the fiery furnace that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced. You're going to have a decision. You're going to have to bow. You're going to bow to the, you'll be killed, persecuted, arrested, hated. All these pressures are going to come against you. You're going to have all these opportunities to bow your knee and to compromise your faith. And then what happens when you stand, you know, the same thing, Nebuchadnezzar, a government, a system, it's going to look at you and point to the fiery furnace and say, we're throwing you in the furnace. And what will happen? You're going to start walking towards the furnace. And I'm going to tell you, as you start walking towards that furnace, it's going to get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And that's what happens in the last days is these pressures aren't going to decrease. They're going to increase. What do you think causes the great falling away? As many believers start feeling this pressure in America where they've lived for Jesus for free for the last hundred years, and now there's pressure. Now it's costing them something. Now they're having to pay a price. People are going to start falling away, falling away, falling away, and only a few will be saved, and only those who endure to the end will be saved, the Bible says specifically. But guess what? Although the fire and the pressure gets hotter, and we're not going to be burned. We're not going to be destroyed. They were thrown into the fire, and there was a fourth man standing in the fire that looked like the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't outside the fire. He's not in the comfortable place. He's in the middle of the furnace. Come on, somebody. 
Everything in your flesh, when this turns up in the culture and it turns up in our country, wants to back down and back up. But I'm telling you, Jesus isn't in the backing up. Jesus is actually right in the middle of that fire and that pressure. So as a Christian, you shouldn't run away from it. You should run right into it because that's where the Son of God is. He's in the furnace. He's in the fire. The Bible says in Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another. Listen to that. Be devoted to one another with authentic brotherly affection as members of one family. Give preference to one another in honor. So here's my first point tonight. Number one, the Bible tells us to give ourselves to fellowship with other believers. Can you agree? The Bible tells us to give ourselves to fellowship with other believers. Most people, what they want to do is they'll go to church, but, you know, this is kind of the modern Christian mindset. I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to have my own space. You know, uh, I'm going to go to work, and then everything in me, I man, I've been working. I just want to go home, and I just want to lay on my couch, and I just want to watch Netflix. I just want to be on my phone. I just, I just have, we have church, and I go to church with those people, but then I have my own little space and my own little life. That's not biblical, the Bible tells us to give ourselves to fellowship with other believers. I'll tell you this, guys. According to the scripture, it's not biblical to live a secluded life. Are you guys with me? That, I, that, that feeling that we have, it's not biblical to want to live a secluded life. Well, I just like my space. I just like my home. I just like, I don't like being around anybody. And guys, that's not biblical. That's the flesh. That, that thing in you, it doesn't come from God. It's not biblical to desire to always sit alone in your house. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. It's not biblical to always desire to want to sit alone in your house. The Bible says in Genesis 2, 18, Now the Lord God said it's not good, beneficial. Put that verse up. Genesis 2, 18, Amplified. The Lord said, it's not good, it's not beneficial for man to be alone. I'll wait for you guys in the back. Wave your hand if you can hear me. Is the verse good? Is it in there? Okay. I want you guys to see this. It's not good for man to be alone. And I like the amplified. What I wanted you to see is the word beneficial. It's not beneficial. Say beneficial. And I'll actually break down what fellowship should consist of. There's benefits to Christian fellowship. Amen. I'll get into some of those benefits. It's not beneficial for man to be alone. Guys, I'm telling you, I can tell you right now why many Christians struggle in their marriage. Why many, many households, why do they struggle in continual perpetual poverty? 
Why do they maybe stay sick when they don't have to stay sick? What, what are some of these things? Because they're a Christian that, that is alone, and because they're alone, they're not getting any of the benefits that the Bible talks about, which come from fellowship with other believers. Okay? So again, this is the mindset. I'll go to church, maybe, right? That's most people nowadays. It's not even a given. I'll go to church. It's just, well, maybe I'll go to church. And I've already explained to you why that's a major problem. And then me and my family will live our own lives separately. We'll have our space. That's not biblical. The Bible instructs us to fill our lives daily. Say daily. Guys, again, they did this daily. The Bible instructs us to fill our lives daily with fellowship of other believers. And again, the Holy Ghost should be convicting you of these three things. I understand there may come a time where you're like, well, I had to miss church. But, you know, that's an, I believe it, there's, there's, there's got to become a conviction. There has to be a conviction for a person to just be totally disconnected for a one week, two week, three week, a month, 12 months, a year, two years. Without feeling that conviction, like you, you need to go. You need to be a part of that. There has to be a conviction. When you begin to live this little recluse, secluded life, you know, again, Christians, their, their thing is if they even come to church, it's just like they, they mingle in the service. Well, they, they pop in right before the service starts, and as soon as it's over, they're gone, and you just, they have no fellowship. Guys, that's not Christian fellowship. Are you guys listening to me? Coming to a service where you're hearing teaching, that was separated. It said the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Church service is not Christian fellowship. And so you have to have both elements in your life. And the Bible instructs us to fill our lives daily. Say daily. So understand, you're going to say, well, you know, that's not convenient for me. I went to church on Sunday, and Monday, that's my, that's my time, Tuesday. I told the kids this. I was like, guys, I don't understand. I was like, you know, you kids, you're doing more than anybody. I'm like, you guys are at the church, Monday night youth, Tuesday you have off. Wednesday night, Thursday you have off, but Friday we have hangout, Saturday soul winning, which they all come to, Sunday they come to communion service, then main service, and then right after main service, they go to Jessica's house, and they have a youth prayer, and then they breathe for an hour, and they come back to prayer service at 6 o'clock, and then Monday night starts over again. They go to school, they do things, and then they're back at youth again on Monday night. That's, that's a lot. And you got these Christians that are just like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I have time. I can maybe do Sunday but I don't know about Monday or, you know, maybe I can go to sun, or Sunday service, but I can't make it to Wednesday. It's like, what are you doing? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, there should come a conviction. So let's keep reading here. And this is a, I know, I, I understand. There's a price. That's what I was going to say. Well, Brother John, I worked and I was really tired. And, you know, Tuesday rolled around and 
I know there's a price. It actually does cost you. I don't feel like eating with somebody. I don't feel like going over to someone's house. I don't feel like having them come over to my house. I don't feel like having that interaction. That's part of the cost of following Jesus. Are you guys with me? There's times that you won't feel like that, but I'm telling you it's your flesh because this is the blueprint model for the book of Acts. Now, I'm not saying, well, you don't make time to do things that that you have to do. You should do that. But I personally begin to feel like that. I'm like, if a week goes by or two weeks goes by, I'm calling somebody up. You can ask a lot of the men around here. I'll call them up and be like, hey, you need to come. We need to eat out at my house. Come over. Let's play a game. Let's eat. Let's have a bonfire. Let's do something. And we have to devote ourselves to Christian fellowship. Okay. So let's go into this tonight. The commands of Christian fellowship, or you could say this, what Christian fellowship consists of. This is what Christian fellowship could, should consist of. I tried to condense this because there's so much. There's so many scriptures. What Christian fellowship consists of. Look at number one, write this down, to love one another. Love one another. Mark 12, 29 through 31. Mark 12, 29 through 31. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Okay, so in fact... This is known as the law of the New Testament. This is how important this is. This is called the law of the New Testament. Jesus said that all of the law and the prophets can be summed up in these two things. Number one, love the Lord your God. He said here, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor. Let me ask you this. Love your neighbor, period. Is that what it says? Does it say love your neighbor, period? No, it, and I've always, I've always heard that. I've always heard, you know, oh, yeah, we should love one another. But the Bible doesn't say to love one another with the interpretation of what you interpret love as. It, it actually says love your neighbor as you love yourself. I remember the Lord gave me this revelation of what that means practically, like a year or so ago, and I was studying, I was preaching about this exact thing, loving the Lord your God, loving your neighbor, uh, as you love yourself. Guys, again, as you love yourself, that doesn't mean tolerate. You know, here's the question that to what you should be asking is, do you make sure that you eat? Say Yes. Not like, well, I was too busy to Brother John today, so I didn't eat. No, do you make sure that you eat? Do you make sure that you go out of the house and you have clothes on your back? Every Monday rolls around, and I I put my check in my account, and I have bills to pay. And guess what? I make sure that my bills are paid every week, right? So to love somebody as you love yourself, you actually begin to, what that means is, you put them at the same priority that you put yourself. If you made sure that you're eating, you equally make sure that your Christian brother or sister is also eating. 
If you make sure that you have clothes on your back, you make sure that your, your Christian brother or sister equally has clothes on their back. Not like, well, this is a secondary thing, and if I can, you know, maybe. No, I mean, you, to love them like you love yourself. Do you make sure that you're taken care of? You make sure that your Christian brother or sister is equally taken care of. You hold others at the same level as you hold yourself. Can you imagine being in a community of people that devoted? That's what it means to devote yourself to one another, that was truly doing that. I don't mean just showing up to service and saying hi and saying bye. I mean literally where we were holding other people's needs in our fellowship as equally as we held our own. Do you know what that would look like? Nobody would ever go without in the church. Ever. You know what the book of Acts looked like? And I'll show you in a moment. Nobody ever went without anything. Is this hitting home with anybody? Are we asking the Lord, am I, love, am I really loving in one, uh, my, my Christian brothers and sisters like I love myself? Or am I a person that just, I'll tolerate it. I have toleration for people. You know, you really hear these stupid things, but people say things like, well, you know, I don't really love people. I tolerate people. That's not biblical. Again, he didn't say that this was some second, third, fourth. He said this is the most important thing. Love the Lord your God. And the second is equally as important as that. Isn't that crazy to think about? This is just as important to God. Loving somebody as you love yourself as it is that you love him with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. Okay. <clears throat> Number two, what does Christian fellowship consist of? Love another as you love yourself. Number two, honor one another. Romans 12, 9 through 10. It says don't just pretend to love others, really love them. <clears throat> Amen, church. Don't just pretend. Don't just say it. Don't just act religious. Don't just pretend to love others by saying that you do. No, really love them with action. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. It says in the same verse in the New King James, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, and honor giving preferences to one another. Basically, this is what this means. It means that you value somebody more than you value yourself. You value somebody's value more than what you value yourself. You know, isn't that what Apostle Paul did? Didn't he say things like that, like, I'm an apostle, but I'm the least of the apostles? He said he was the least of the apostles, but if you actually look at it, Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, didn't he? I mean, in actuality, as far as works is concerned, Apostle Paul did more works than Peter. He did more works than John. He did more works than all of them. But yet, he called himself the least of the apostle. Why did he call himself the least of the apostle? Because he, he, he honored people above himself. And I guess I'm trying to speak to this toxic Christian culture. 
Guys, what I'm telling you, we idolize people and we put more preference on people than we do on God. And you have this toxic Christian culture where I really see it as leaders in the church today. They strut around like peacocks, like there's someone to be bowed down to and to kiss their feet and all of this stuff. But in all actuality, Jesus said, if you want to be first, you must become last. Humble yourself before the Lord and the Lord will lift you up. Okay, so say honor. Look at number three, write this down. In the church, what does it mean? True Christian fellowship. So basically, here's a way to summarize point number two. I know I'm moving on, but point number two, no one's beneath you. Don't ever treat somebody like they're beneath you. You guys hear me? Don't ever treat somebody like, oh, I don't have time for you. I don't care what you have to say. I don't re- you really see this. And this will bleed right into number three, but you see this in churches where there's like economical classes in churches. You have the uppity up people, you know, the rich, and, and then you have your little groups. And I've had family visit churches around here that they say things like that. Like you go in and they just feel like, you know, you're just looked at like you're not accepted, you're not welcomed, and people have this attitude like, I'm better than you are. Don't ever treat somebody like they're better, like you're better than they are. Okay, and this is number three. There can be no racial or economical barrier in the body of Christ. No racial or economical barrier. Romans 12, 16, it says, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble, do not be wise in your own opinion. NLT of that same verse says, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. So don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. The Bible says, don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't think that you know it all. Basically what this means is, again, there can be no class separation. What do I mean by that, John? If somebody comes in and you're like, man, this person, you can just tell. It's like this person, man, they just rolled out of the mud pit. It looked like this guy comes walking in. He's got a hole in his shoe. He's got a hole in his shirt. Uh, And again, in the church, a lot of people, they just want to like, okay, you know, we got our little group. We got our little friends. And and I also want to say that as well. As people come. You're not here to click up. You guys, like uh, Sundays, on Wednesdays, you're not here just to sit with the same people and talk to the same people and, and begin to form these little classes between one another, these little subgroups. That's not biblical. When it says, associate with the humble, you know, in the early church, when they would, they would take communion every single week, and part of communion is they would give each other what's known in the Bible as the holy kiss. Have you ever been reading that and, and read in the Bible, greet each other with a holy kiss? Have you ever read that? Again, we're just like, holy kiss, what does that mean? After they would take communion, it was not finalized. That portion of the service would not be done until every person went around and kissed each other on the cheek. Some cultures, some places actually kissed each other on the mouth. Every person had to kiss one another on the cheek. Okay, here's, here's the point, though, behind that. Is you, this was in a time where you had rich people, you had slavery, 
You had bond servants. So you, you, basically the whole point is if you're rich, the, the slavery person over here, everybody when you come into the house of God and the body of Christ, everyone is equal. And they would kiss each other on the cheek showing equality among each and every one of them. Okay, you may go out there and our living situations may look a little differently, but we're all equal in the body of Christ. We're all a part of one body. So listen to me. Don't ever separate yourself from the poor, the lower class, from anyone. Are you with me? Okay, let's get to this point tonight. Number four. Here's some of the benefits or instructions of Christian fellowship. And this is really good right here. Number four. The Bible says that we are to care for one another. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25, this makes for harmony amongst the believers so that all members care for each other. All members, say all members, care for each other. We are called to care for each other. What, what does it really mean to care for each other? Now, again, let's put all these things together. The Bible says that we are to be devoted to one another. The Bible says that they met together in fellowship daily. How did they, what did it mean when they fellowship? They lived in a community so close-knit, they, they, they cared for one another. How did they care for one another? Three different cat, uh, breakdowns of this. Number one, they cared for each other's emotional needs. This is one for me that I'm horrible at. You know, again, it's you know that I'm preaching by the Spirit of God because if this was John, I would just read these verses and been like, whoop, let's not talk about that. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at dealing with emotional needs. I'm just like, okay, you know, get over it, all right? But this is in the Bible. So this is part, this is the thing that, it, there has to be something that dies in us, every one of us. Are you with me? So it says, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Say comfort. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. So it says to comfort one another. It says to encourage one another. So here's the point, guys. There will be times your brothers and sisters, they need comforting, they need encouraging. Are you with me? We can't even get into this. I know, especially like in the faith circle, if you ever get to a point where you need encouragement, you're wrong. Well, you can't need encouragement because if you need encouragement, that means that you're in a place where you don't have encouragement. And if you don't have encouragement, that means that you're not in faith. And so really it turns this to this toxic thing where everybody walks around and they're, they're needing. Paul wouldn't have said to comfort and to encourage if we were going to live in this reality where nobody ever needed comforting and nobody ever needed encouraging. Are you guys with me? Okay. So the Bible says... Romans 12, 15 through 18, be happy with those that are happy, weep with those that weep, and live in harmony with each other. And then it goes on to the verse we just mentioned, don't be too proud to encourage the company of ordinary people, and don't think that you know it all. Again, it's, it's Christianity isn't about us just coming together to run great services. 
All right, let's all get together and we'll run the lights and the, and the camera and the live stream. And the, it, it, it's a devotion to one another. We care for each other's emotional needs, okay? So don't think you're too proud of yourself. All of us, don't ever think that you're a place where you cannot care for somebody else's emotional needs. But then number two, listen to this. That doesn't give you an excuse to walk around being an emotional train wreck all the time. Because there are some people where it's like every day, I mean, it's like they're schizophrenic. What was that girl, Syphil or uh, Sybil, that had like the hundred personalities, you know? Anybody know what I'm talking about? She had like all these, she had schizophrenia, she had like a hundred different personalities. You know, you got people like that. Every time you see them, it's just one thing after another after another. And so you also don't have the permission, though, to take advantage of this and say, I'm going to walk around and just be an emotional train wreck all the time. Negative. Complaining. Sad. There will come a time where encouraging someone isn't just patting them on the back. There is a time for that. Listen, we're here for you. Listen, we love you. Listen, we're going to come around you. But there comes a time with some people that encouraging is you need to wake up. You know, you need to use your faith. You, you've got to get a hold of faith. You've been in this situation. It's time to come out of this situation. So we need to care for each other's emotional needs. Now, number two. How do we care for one another? We have to care for each other's material needs. Man, this is huge in the body of Christ. 1 Peter 4.9, it says, Carefully or cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Acts 2, 43-47. It says, a, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. You know, another place says that they actually considered nothing that they owned their own. Think about that, that when you come into the body of Christ, you're saying, Lord, and again, it's this mindset. Prosperity is God giving me everything that I need and then plenty left over to share with others. Say share with others. They shared everything that they had. They even sold their properties and possessions and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those that were being saved. Okay, let me kind of explain some of this, some background knowledge. When this happened in Acts chapter 2, it didn't mean that all of those, because you understand this, you had a bunch of Jewish people, they lived in Jerusalem, it was the day of Pentecost, so you had all of these other Jews coming in from all over the world, all over the North Africa, deeper in the Middle East, you know, Asia Minor, from that empire. They were all coming in to celebrate as required by the law for the day of Pentecost. The Holy Ghost is poured out 
And now all these believers that did not live in Jerusalem are now stuck in Jerusalem. They're just staying there. They're lingering there. There's this revival that's taking place. So what this doesn't mean is that all of those that had homes and properties in Jerusalem, they just said, well, I'm just going to become homeless, and I'm going to sell my home, and I'll become homeless, and I'll give the money. And you know what? We'll all just be homeless together. That's not what it means. If you actually look into the accuracy, the context here, it was talking about the extra homes that they had, the extra fields and lands that they had. You know, again, a lot of their property it was stuff that it was just passed down and passed down. And so you can have a man, he had 10, 12, 20 properties all stacked up. So what does it mean that he sold his property? Well, he said, you know, do I need 20, 30, 40, 50 properties? Do I need all of this extra stuff? No. And he began, they begin to evaluate, what is it that I need? And then all of this other blessing that God's given me, they begin to give it and distribute it and meet the needs of the other believers from their excess. So listen to this. If you write anything down, write this down. God's solution for the needy in the church is that those with excess would give from their plenty to meet the needs of other believers. God's solution for the needy in the church is that those with the excess would give from their plenty to meet the needs of other believers. But what do we really do? you got a brother or a sister that's in need in the body of Christ today, and what do we do? I'll pray for you. Keep you in prayer. You know, the book of James actually talks about that specifically. Look at James 2, 14 through 16. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So let's just use some common sense here. What does God expect from us when we encounter our brother or sister that has no food and no clothing? Does he expect us to pray for them according to that text? No, he expects them from your plenty, go buy them food. Oh Lord, I got a hundred thousand saved up in my 401k and I just don't know if I can afford it this month to spend $125 buying somebody some groceries. God's not okay with that stupid way of thinking. It's not biblical whatsoever. God's solution for the needy in the church is that those with excess would give from their plenty to meet the needs of other believers. Can you imagine that? Guys, it really shouldn't be so that in a church, you, in the modern church, you have multi-millionaires and then you have Christians, a single mother that can barely feed five kids. And what's the church doing? Oh, well, you know what? Let us get somebody to go help you get on food stamps and let's go to the government. And Are you kidding me? It's not the government's job to do the church's job. Somebody raking in 10 mil a year, and then this, this woman gets saved, has five kids she's trying to feed, and, oh, let's send her to the food stamp line. Let's send her to the food box line. Are you kidding me? Could a believer like that not spare $1,000 a month and bless three families with it? It's just a faulty, false American faith. 
I've said it, I'll say it again out loud. There's a certain amount that I told my wife that once we reach this level in our life, however long that takes, if the Lord allows us to get, say, $100,000, $150,000, I said every dime that I make above that, I'll give away, every dime. Because I don't need, what else do we need past that? What else do you need past that? Are y'all with me? I mean, and this is just the reality. This is my conviction. God's solution for the needy in the church is not to pray, not to, oh, you know. God's solution is that those with excess would give from their plenty to meet the needs of other believers. And guess what happened? Due to that, look at Acts 4, 34 through 35. There was no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Hallelujah. And in fact, this is actually what 2 Corinthians 8, 12 through 15 means. It says, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean that your giving, listen to this, I don't mean that your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourself. I only mean that there should be some equality. Say equality. Right now you have plenty and you can help those who are in need. Later, they'll have plenty, and they can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. You know, again, it it just really doesn't make sense. Like in the body of Christ, there shouldn't be multi, 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 multi multi-millionaires. I mean, that's great. Like there should be that. Listen to me. There should be those things. God will give people things like that. But it shouldn't be the upper class and the lower class and, you know, these Christians. Again, they use faith. They use things to just justify covetousness and greed and all of this. And and, and then you have brothers or sisters, a part of the same body that we're to be devoted to one another. We're to love one another like we love ourselves who struggle. Don't worry, though. I'm going to get to a few points. There's some exceptions to this. So obviously there's some exceptions. What are some of these exceptions? Number one, here's an exception. People should not stay in poverty for extended amount of time. Are you guys with me? So again, when I'm talking about helping those in need, God is not a socialist. Okay? I'm not talking about socialism. I'm not talking about somebody sits on their butts, and I'll get to that in a moment, and does absolutely nothing and then just eats from the table of a person that's working their tail off to serve the Lord. God is not a socialist. If somebody is in a time of poverty, it should not be a perpetual time of poverty in their life. You know, people can come into the faith and come from all different backgrounds. You may say, the cards that were given to me, I struggled, my parents struggled, I've had to fight for everything that I have, and I'm struggling right now. That's okay. That's where people come around to assist somebody that's struggling. But if a year, two years, three years, five years, ten years goes on and you're still in that place of poverty, then there's some genuine questions that need to be asked because that's not the believer's portion. Are you with me? 
I don't believe every believer is going to be flying around in Maseratis, but we do know that God promised. He said, you'll have everything that you need. You'll have food to, to eat, clothes to wear, the basic necessities of life. The Lord's my shepherd, and I shall not want anything. I have all that I need, the Bible declares. You know, and, and again, that's where you start looking at, well, I'm a believer, now I'm going to church, but I'm in this place of poverty. Well, maybe it's because of a nicotine addiction. Maybe it's because of drug addiction. Maybe it's because of sin that's been refused to be repented of, and you cannot come underneath the blessing of the Lord. You can't eat from the Lord's table while eating from the table of demons at the same time, the Bible says. You can't drink from this, the Lord's cup and drink from the cup of demons at the same time. So there does come a time where you have to begin to question, okay, you've been in this place of struggling, you've been in this place of, of, of quote-unquote poor poverty, which I'll say in America, we're not in poverty at all compared to poverty that's in the rest of the world. I don't think anybody's going home to sleep in a mud hut tonight. I don't believe so. So yes, there has to be things where you know a person should not be. You could be going through a season because you're being tested. The Bible says those who are faithful, a little more will be given. Maybe you're going through a testing season. Maybe you're like, oh, I stood for the Lord. I know Brother Tristan, he stood for the Lord. And it cost him his job. He stood for what is right. It cost him his job. You know what believers should do at that point? Come behind and support and from the plenty meet the needs of others, which we did. I'm not talking about season, momentary, you know, you're going through this thing where it's like, Lord, I'm doing this stuff, I'm working, I'm doing it, but yet we're, we're lacking. Could be a test. Could be a trial. If it's a test and it's a trial and you, and you stay faithful, you'll come out of it. But if you don't come out of it, then it's not just a test and it's a trial, it, there's a problem. Are you guys with me? Okay, so the exceptions are <clears throat> people should not stay in poverty for extended amount of time. Here's the other exception, number two. A person should try to help themselves. If they aren't willing to do that, if they're not willing to help themselves, you, that you are instructed to not help them according to the Bible. Do you know that? We are actually not. So I'm talking about this. We should meet each other's material needs. But the Bible actually does not say that if a, person's not, if, if a person is not willing to try to help themselves, we aren't to help them. You say, well, that seems harsh. Look what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command. Say command. Did he say we give you this suggestion? No, we give you this command in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know Apostle Paul saying that? As an apostle, that actually means that this could be written and read. An apostle is an ambassador, one who is sent in the total authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul says, I give you this command in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying this is as good as it coming from the mouth of Jesus himself. Stay away from all believers, say believers. So again, is this talking about people of the world? No, you're lost, you're unsaved. You, this doesn't apply to you. But if you're a believer, there's a different expectation for you. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives 
and don't follow the tradition they received from us. A lot of people will stop right there. Well, you know, an idle life means they're lukewarm. An idle life means they're just kind of backslidden. No, he actually goes on to say what he means by idle lives. You know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. Listen to what Paul said, number one. He said we never, ex- we never accepted food without paying for it. So if we are to imitate Paul, what does that tell us as Christians? Number one, stop expecting free stuff all the time. Okay, again, it's a blessing. If there's a time of need, if there's a time for help, if there, that's, that's great. But if you're a Christian that's just walking around expecting, like you have this expectation, somebody should pay my water bill for me. You know, you're, you're, you're totally missing what the scripture says. You should not expect a handout. That's actually not the believer's mindset. Christ did not come to be served. He came to serve. As a Christian, your goal should be, I'm not sitting here expecting a handout and free stuff. My goal in my heart is to go around and be given free stuff to other people. My, I'm not sitting here going to live my life expecting someone to pay my bills. I'm going to believe God for my bills to be met, and then I'll have everything that I need and plenty left over so that I can meet the needs of other people. If you're just walking around like this all the time, you're, you're already missing this. He says, we never accepted food without paying for it. So what does that mean? Be willing to pay for it, and if the Lord gives it to you for free, hallelujah, praise God. You were were willing to pay for it. He says, we certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Look at this. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Are you with me here? So what I'm talking to you about is not some form of socialism where let's have a bunch of people that refuse to go out and get a job, refuse to do what needs to be done, but yet let's just live in the socialist idea where the, the people that are working take from their plenty and, and give to those that refuse to work. Paul said if you refuse to work, you, re, you should not get to eat. You know, the Bible, like, well, what if they go hungry? You know, the book of Proverbs says that a hungry stomach is good for the worker. It drives them to the field. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work. Say refusing to work. I also want to make this point as well, guys. You know that we're going to go through times. The Bible's already clear that in the last days, we'll go through times where some people will lose their jobs for following Jesus Christ. There's a difference between losing your job and refusing to work. You understand? A person that loses their job, what do they do? They go looking for another job. They go looking to fulfill the biblical requirement of taking care of their household. That's not what I'm talking about. We should come behind a person that falls into that situation and and stand with them, supply them, bless them. I'm talking about if if you refuse to work, well, I don't don't need to work. I don't want to work. I'll just expect everybody to help me. I'm telling you right now, according to the Bible, the Christian has no obligation to help that whatsoever. He says, we command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. 
I told the youth this. I said, guys, I'm so sick of this toxic thing. You go to youth camp, and it's just like this generation. And from the platform, you know, the guy's just screaming, you're all going to be the next prophet of the United States of America to all 2,000 kids that are there. And you know what? It's a lie. All 2,000 kids are not going to be the next prophet of the United States of America. We're making it just look so, oh man, so seductive and this chase of, of ministry. I'm like, why aren't we raising up young people with this holy calling of you need to be a man, you need to go to work, you need to get a job, you need to take care, you need to get married, have a wife, take care of your children, take care of your spouse, raise your children up in the ways of the Lord, serve the body of Christ and what God's doing in the region that you're called to. That's not a less than holy call. That is a biblical call from God. Come on, somebody. But we're not doing that, and so we have a whole generation coming up right now, my generation, that acts like useless. Don't even have the basic skills to do basic things. Are y'all with me? And it's also so toxic. I see all these posts. What are you going to be known for in your generation? What are you going to be great in your generation? Are you serious? Like that, and everybody's just trying to chase this, this level of, of greatness and climb this ladder and success. And it's like, what about greatness? You know, who cares if I'm known by my generation? I want to be known by God. I'd be happy to get before him and him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. God forbid you stand before him and say, depart from me. I never even knew who you were. Go to work. Work with your own hands to earn a living. It's, it's a blessing from God. It's not a less than calling. And I also say if you feel called to the ministry, but you, you can't serve God and be faithful in that at the same time, then you have no place pursuing the ministry. I know that God will call young people. I was a young person, but I, you know, I did have other jobs, but I was a person God called from a young age, but it seems so toxic now that you got people, they can't be faith, they can't go to work and keep a job for two months, but they feel this great call from the Lord to be in ministry. It's like, you're not, you're not even faithful with something basic. You can't wake up at 8 and go to work till 5 and still love Jesus and still pray and still read your Bible. It's like, you know, you do one or the other. You start going to work. What do you start seeing? These people, well, they stop praying. They stop serving the Lord because it's one or the other for them. We got to stop producing weak men. Come on, somebody. You say, well, I think it's the women that are the problem in this country. You know, the women, if there's a problem with the women, it's because of weak men. I think the kids, well, there's a problem with the kids because of weak men, weak fathers. You know, and this is actually interesting. I'm about done, but even widows in the Bible... There's, there's stipulations for even meeting needs. In, in the Bible, it says that in order for a woman to qualify as a widow, she must be at least 65 years old. And that her husband must be dead and that she has no children that can support her. Do you know that the Bible actually says that? That if, if, if there is a woman that's alone, before the church assists, there should be a conversation that's had. you know that I had people leave my church for trying to be biblical a few years ago? 
We had this widow, literally, she was a widow, old lady in her 70s. The, the family went to church here. She couldn't get somebody to mow her yard. She couldn't get somebody to take her to the grocery store. And yet the guy was running out to the oil field and buying trucks and buying all this stuff and thinking that it was the church's job just to give her a food box once a month. And I told him, I'm like, dude, that's disgraceful. This is your job first before it's our job. And you know what? They didn't like that. Why? Because when you start getting biblical with people, you realize they don't want the Bible. (laughs) You know, like, I'm not telling you how I see it. I'm telling you how God sees it, and he's going to hold you accountable for it. You know, there's four financial responsibilities of, of every Christian. The church is your financial responsibility if you're a Christian. That's why God instituted the tithe and the offering. It's not a suggestion. It is a financial responsibility that us as believers finance the work of the ministry on the earth. We know that it's God's will for churches to be in every city. Those churches have to be funded. Who funds them? The believers come together. They pull together. They take from their plenty. They take from their overflow. They take their 10%. They come together. They establish the work of the Lord in a community. The other financial responsibilities, say responsibilities, not suggestion, responsibilities, is the Bible says that you should support those in your own household. In fact, it says that one who does not support those in his own household has denied the true faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Right? So every man has the responsibility to his own household. Your children, your responsibility. I wish the men in our generation would hear that. Your children are not anyone else's responsibility. They're not grandma's job to raise. They're not aunt's job to raise. They're not daycare's job to raise. Your children are your literal emotional responsibility, physical responsibility, financial responsibility. Men need to be fathers. You know, it's so sick. It's not fair to these children. Nobody asked, nobody, the children didn't decide to come into the earth. We brought them here. And then how dare us not take care of them? How dare us bring them to this earth and then give them hell on earth because of our own stupidity and flesh? It's sick. And you think that God doesn't see it that way? He does. They're our responsibility. I'll tell you, my little girl is funny. She loves her Grammy. If it was between me and her Grammy, if someone had a gun and we were on our knees and pick, she would be like, see you, Dad. I'm going to, you know. She just loves her Grammy. Every day, she's like, I want to go to Grammy's house. And I told her, she's four. And I said, listen, honey, I love you going to Grammy's house. Grammy's a huge help. Oh, my gosh, she helps us do stuff. She helps watch the girls when we have things we have to take care of. But I told her, I said, listen, you're not going to go to Grammy's house every day. Why? Is it because I don't want you at Grammy's house? Is it because Grammy doesn't love you? None of those things. It's because it's not Grammy's job to raise you. It's my job to raise you. So you're not going there every day because you're my responsibility. And that's how God sees it. So you have a responsibility in your own household. We have a responsibility to the poor, the needy, say the poor. And then children have a responsibility to their parents, the Bible says. In the Hebrew culture, it was really this. Your parents take care of you when you're young, and when they get old, you take care of them. It's not the state's job. It's just so sick. 
It is absolutely insane. And again, I understand if you're, if you're not in a situation to do that, believe God. That is a righteous cause to believe God. Lord, I want to believe for prosperity, but it's not just for me to have all these fleshly things. I want to honor my father and I want to honor my mother. It's so sick that somebody could go out and make $200,000 a year, but then their parents are living on Social Security check of like $900 a month struggling. That's not right. Man, you, you, you've got your priorities way messed up. So those are the four. The church, your family, a man's children, his wife, his intermediate family, the poor, your parents. And I'm going to tell you guys, too, as you get older, I understand. My parents, too. I'm still, sometimes I'm mom's little boy and... You know, but I'm telling you, as I'm speaking now to the younger people, there comes a time, you need to hear me, there comes a time where you need to stop thinking, hoping that your parents bless you, and you've got to cross the line to say, now I'm going to become the blessing for them. Stop going out and eating meals and saying, well, hope mom or dad buys my meal this time, or, you know, and start thinking, actually, I'm going to do that. You know, there has to come a point in an adult man and woman's life where you cross that line and understand. Now I'm not a kid anymore. Now we've got to start working things where I'm taking care of them and blessing them and not them just, you know. Amen. I'm almost done. Okay, so we need to care for each other's material needs. Lastly, we need to care for one another's spiritual needs. The Bible says in Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another daily, why it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That word exhort, it means to warn. It means to walk alongside one another. 1 Peter 4.10, as each of you have received a gift, minister it to one another. As God's stewards, of good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you're not walking in your gift, you're not being a good steward of what God gave you. You know, that's why you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's why Sunday nights, we really be intentional at this church. And God has permission to do it any time. But we really structure specifically Sunday nights. Lord, if you're not doing it Wednesday or Sunday morning, then we're just going to step out on faith and do it Sunday night. It is really more of an open service. We have prayer, but there's different things that happen. Because in 1 Corinthians 14, it wasn't just a one-man show, one-man gig, one-man preach. There's different gifts. God's given us those gifts to edify the body of Christ. Are you guys with me? There's the prophetic. There's tongues. There's interpretation. There's gifts of healing, working of miracles. There's discerning. There's nine gifts of the Spirit. And actually more than that, Romans talks about teaching, encouraging, giving, serving. So the Bible says that we are to use those gifts to bless one another. Amen. Okay, James 5, 16, it says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other. Say pray for each other. We need to be praying for each other, guys. Lay hands. I mean, seriously, I, I have no problem. I have people call me all the time. Hey, can you come to so-and-so's house and lay hands on this person and I understand. I'm a minister. I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost. But we, as Christians, we also have to mature. 
You can lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. You understand? Pray for one another. Do you have friends in your life? Do you have fellowship in your life where you're doing stuff like that, where you're meeting, you're interwoven, you're devoted to one another, you pray for one another? You know, I'll ask you, in this church, are you praying for other people in this church? Not just me, other people. Many of you come up on my heart all the time, and, I'm, and I'll be in prayer, and the Lord will put you in my heart. I'll just begin to pray for you. Is that happening, or do we even care about one another enough for that to happen? Is there ever a time where Debbie comes on your heart? I need to pray for Debbie. Tristan comes. I'm going to pray. Or are we just selfish Christians that live our own little reclusive, exclusive lives that have our, our schedule and we're not devoted to one another? We may shake hands in a service and that's it. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to end with this. This is how to handle Christian conflict. Because we're to be devoted to one another and here's the inevitable. At some point there will be conflict. Say conflict. If you walk with people at some point, there will be conflict. If you go to a church, at some point, there will be conflict. So if you don't know how to handle this conflict, you'll do what 99% of people do. There's a little bit of conflict. There's a little bit of offense. And what do they do? They just leave because they're emotionally immature, spiritually immature, and ultimately they're not devoted to one another. I'm going to tell you guys something. If Christians can get devoted to one another... I'm not talking about God calling you somewhere, but this little problem that you see Christians just church hop, 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 hop. They're here for a week, then they're there for a week, and then they're there. You know, the reason they do that, because they're not devoted to anyone. You know, that's like one of the hardest things, too, is when you're, when you're in the ministry. And you start, you devote yourself to a person and, and a family and they get close to your kids and, 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 and your kids, they're part of their lives. And then the next week you turn around and, oh, bye, you know, th- there's no word said, there's nothing said, they're just gone. It's like, it just shows you this person doesn't care. Because if they did, you can't do that. You can't just walk out of someone's life without saying a word. If, if You can do that if you don't care. If you care, it's impossible to do that. Are y'all with me? So I'm going to give you really quickly how to handle Christian conflict. Here's the first step to handling Christian conflict. Number one, make allowances. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Here's the reality. I don't believe and preach that we're all sinners and we're all just going to sin every day. But here's the reality. Every person in this room, you will miss it at one time. Am I lying? No, I'm not. I'd be a hypocrite. Have I missed it in a year or two years? Or, you know, yes, we, we miss it. There's times we look back and say, man, I've grown more. Even if you didn't even see it in the situation. I'm not talking about running out and using that as a justification to go live in habitual sin every day. But people will miss it. People will say the wrong thing. People won't respond the right way. This is what the Bible says. Make allowances for each other's faults. So in your heart, you need to make room that somebody at some point is going to do something that's offensive to you. Okay? Go ahead and make room for it now so that if it happens, you're not just caught off guard. You make an allowance for other people's faults. What does that mean? 
I know this man, I know this woman. Guys, and I'm not talking about those. The Bible's clear that there are times to end fellowship. I'm talking about a man or woman that you know loves the Lord, that you can say, does this person love God? Yes, they do. Do I believe this person is diligently seeking God? Yes, they are. Okay. Then I'm going to make room for this person, if, for, for this mistake, if they hurt me, if they offended me, they didn't respond a certain way. Are y'all with me? Someone wronged you, offended you, make allowances. Was it wrong? Maybe. But you just understand this. I'm not perfect yet. I'm being conformed into the likeness and image of God, and they are too, so let's make room for it. Are y'all with me? Okay, so number one, you need to make allowances. Number two, talk. Say talk. This is the problem with people. They don't talk to one another. People get offended, and then they don't talk about it. You know, it's like even people, they could come in and get offended by my preaching, and then they walk away the rest of their life offended. Here's the reality. Why did, if you had a problem, why didn't you come to me with the word, and we would just humbly together look at the word with one another? Well, I just don't understand. I disagree with pastor. Really? Did you ever talk to him about it? Did you ever, not just, well, my flesh was offended. Did you ever bring the word and say, you know, I think that there is a scriptural error here. I think that there's something. I want to tell you something. I want to walk in humility before the Lord. If there's something scripturally not accurate, let's get it accurate together. Are you with me? This is what people do, though. They'll get offended, and then they don't talk. Oh, do you know? Hannah the other day said something, and I didn't like the way that she responded. And so now, for the next six months, I'm going to be mad at Hannah in my heart, in my head. And, I'm, you know, and there's this wall that's built between us. And really, why didn't I just go talk to her? You better not ta ever talk about somebody if you're not willing to talk to them. But you don't need to talk about them anyways. But just think about that. If you do not have the right to talk about somebody if you're not willing to talk to them. Talk. The Bible says if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out that offense. If the person refuses to listen and confess it, you have won that person back. Now again, guys, I'm telling you, it, there will be people, they don't want to talk, they don't care. You know, you can't walk in fellowship with a person like that. If you go to a person and you're trying to genuinely have Christian fellowship with them and they're not interested, I mean, you're wasting your time. You can tell when someone's not interested, you're better off just, okay, then, you know. It says, but if they're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you, go back again, so that everything may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. If he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Man, that was the words of Jesus. It's really not the point of the message, but actually, according to the Bible, there is a time to pass judgment on a person. Paul said the, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6 talks about church government, church discipline, that there are things. That it is our job to judge those inside the church who are sinning. So anyways, I'm just saying that because there's so many Christians. The only verse they know is don't judge. Well, actually, that's not true. 
According to this, if a person refuses to repent and wants to continue living in what the Bible defines as habitual sin, there comes a point where the church does pass judgment and it says that you treat them like a tax collector. What does that mean? You just have nothing to do with them. You turn them over to Satan. Okay. So say talk. Number one. We have to be willing to talk to people. Number two, you have to be willing to talk. Say talk. Also say this as well. Y'all, listen, I love you, okay? But don't walk around obviously distraught, okay? Don't walk around. Hey, what's wrong? Nothing. Really? If nothing's wrong, great. But if there's something wrong and you say nothing, now you're lying. And in fact, I didn't get into this, but there's four things the Bible says that we are not to do amongst one another, and one of them is lie to one another. Nothing. What do you mean nothing? If nothing's wrong, then praise God. Maybe go check, you know, look in the mirror and tell yourself nothing's wrong. Maybe you need to tell yourself that, but... But you just see that, you know, and guys, what I'm saying is that it's just, we can't be emotionally immature. We can't be spiritually immature. We can't be petty. If there's offense, we have to biblically, we have to communicate it one to another, make allowances, talk about it, look at it in light of the scripture. It, you know, because here's the thing though too, because a lot of times people be offended. They just need help. So if you need help, say, I need help. Are y'all with me? Y'all, I'm so sick of it. I, I don't ever want to see a member of this church reach out and say, well, you know, and I'm not rebuking anybody. We had a member recently that, you know, had posted something like, oh, I need, I need a food box. And I wasn't rebuking this person. I, I sent him money and I said, listen, you're a part of this church. You don't ever have to go looking for other places to get what you need. If you need something, you just come and tell me and we'll make sure that we take care of it. Y'all, I'm telling you this. Don't let the whole faith thing let you walk in this place where, where it's actually hindering you from the benefits of true Christian fellowship. Hallelujah. All right, praise God. So we need to talk about it. We need to be willing to talk about it. And then number three, forgive. Say forgive. So make allowances, talk about it. After you talk about it, forgive. The Bible says in Colossians 3.13, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. You must forgive others. Ephesians 4.32, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ forgave you. Praise the Lord. Amen. I told y'all this was a very simple message tonight, not so deep and profound, but very practical. Hallelujah. Well, let me pray over you, and I'll dismiss you tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. We just ask again, Holy Spirit, that you would evaluate our lives, the flesh. If there's anything in us that needs to go, that needs to die, show it to us, Lord. Let us crucify it. 
If we are living reclusive lives, if we are living selfish lives, if we are living unbiblical lives, we're not wanting to commit to things and, and, and we just don't like being around people and, and, and we don't love people, we barely tolerate people, Lord, really convict us. Let us die to ourselves. Let us look at our lives in light of the scripture and to be conformed to your word. I pray that, that we would begin to get a hold of that as, this, as a church. We would not just be a place that people come together for a service, but, Lord, we would be devoted to one another. We would care. We would put our money where our mouth is. We would meet the needs of people. Help us, Lord. Help us, Holy Ghost. Because we know that when a church truly walks in love, your word actually says, it's by your love that they'll know you. It's by your love for one another that the world will know you. And as they loved one another and walked in, these, in this fellowship and devoted themselves to it, in the, in the book of Acts it says that you actually added to their numbers every day. Because, Lord, that type of love, not just the service, but that type of devotion to one another, it will. It will draw. It's something that you want to promote. It's something that you'll get behind that you'll make a, a lampstand to a dark world. That, Lord, you're not going to draw the lost and the unsaved into a church that, that it, it, it refuses to devote themselves to one another. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord. We give you honor. We give you glory. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Come on, just give the Lord a shout of praise tonight. Hallelujah. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.